0: Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 147, and we're reviewing Oshinoko Season 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. It's been a little while since we've done a life update. I don't know what you call them, but an update on what we've been up to lately. So I thought we could do that. What have we been up to lately?
1: I don't know, just taking care of the baby,
0: right? <laughs> well, well, we're both at a point where we've each returned to work. So you had mm-hmm. paternity leave, I had maternity leave. Um, you went back a couple of weeks before me and I've been back at work for a little bit now. And yeah, how does that feel to to be back? I just I guess trying to reestablish normalcy, but not at the same time. <laughs>
1: I guess it was nice, (laughs) I don't don't know if nice is the right word, but just being able to focus on something besides being a parent, if that makes sense, Um, just to keep my mind active in other ways. Uh, Of course, like taking care of a newborn is going to take a lot out of you and will require you to to use some brain power, but I think in terms of like going back to my job, it's just using my brain power in other means. So I guess giving my brain more of a workout. Of course, that comes with its challenges of making sure to balance work with life and even more so now that we have a new member of our family. Uh, But for the most part, transitioning back to work hasn't been too bad especially because I came back at a time when my current workload, uh, with it being summer, isn't so busy. Um, so it's kind of getting back into the swing of things at an opportune time. Uh, but how did you feel going back into work?
0: I kind of feel similar. Like, I, I, at the end of the day, do I really want to be going to work? No, I'd rather be at home you know, with the baby and watching anime (laughs) and working on the podcast. But it's important um, and I do enjoy what I do. So it's nice to be back kind of like what you said in a in an environment where I can be like mentally stimulated in a different way, Um, because with the baby, it's kind of like eat, play, sleep all the time on repeat. And here, we actually get to have, um, or here, at work, I actually get to have, you know, like, interesting, thought-provoking conversations. I get to get my wheels turning again. Um, So that's kind of nice. Like, having adult conversations, I guess, has been nice.
1: Instead of baby conversations. Yes, (laughs) baby talk all the
0: time. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I love it. I love taking care of him. Um, I love the time we've all been able to spend together. But yeah, I guess that is the, the positive thing about going back to work. I think one of the toughest parts, though, is already trying to get used to our new life, our new schedule with a baby. And then going back to work, now you have to add that element back into it. Um, so yeah it's been it's been a lot. Um, we're still trying to figure out our schedule. We're still trying to figure out what you know the day-to- day looks like and how we're gonna balance everything between like baby stuff, work stuff, podcast stuff. So uh, you may have noticed everyone listening that some of our episodes may have been, a bit delayed in recent weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we just want to let everyone know that we haven't forgotten about anime. We haven't forgotten about the podcast. We still very much love doing this podcast. Um, but we just want to thank you guys for bearing with us with all of these release delays. Uh, we're getting there. I think we're starting to get into the groove of things. He's at an age now where we're very lucky. He's starting to sleep through the night, which is phenomenal. That's a game changer. And we've
1: been (laughs) able to catch up on our sleep a little bit.
0: Yes. And now that we've established kind of like a bedtime routine, we're able to figure out like when we can record and when we can you know, watch a lot of anime. So things are getting better. Um, But again, you, you probably have experienced a few delays with some of our recent episodes, but we just thank you guys so much for your patience and understanding and um, it's not going to be a permanent situation. We are very committed to getting back on track with everything. Um, but with that said, I guess kind of talking a little bit of, a bit more about the baby. Um, he's like we said, sleeping through the night, but he's also doing some interesting things, like discovering his hands. He just stares at his fists all the time <laughs> yeah. and just like chews on them. There's drool everywhere.
1: I don't. I don't know what goes through baby's minds but <laughs> the way that he looks at his fist it's almost like he's he's seeing a a, a pokemon creature out in, in the wild like something so fascinating um uh, <laughs> it just makes me think just wait until you see what's really out there in this world um and <laughs> i'm sure it's gonna be eye-opening for him but it's, it's the simple things like Staring at your fist or trying to eat your fist, I guess. <laughs> it's like, he,
0: what does he dream about when he sleeps? Because yeah. babies are active sleepers, and it seems like he's dreaming at times, but like, what conceptually, what could he be dreaming about when he hasn't experienced much of life? <laughs> That's one of the questions I have about babies.
1: Yeah, because he's also laughed in his sleep and so,
0: <laughs> like, what the fuck? So funny, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird because right now, when he's awake, he doesn't really laugh. Like he'll do what's called social smiling, where he just smiles back at you if he sees that you're smiling at him. Um, yeah, he hasn't laughed while he's awake, but when he's sleeping, sometimes you'll just randomly hear him giggle. And yeah, I, I just trying to picture like what of your current vision which is like a distance of eight to 10 inches in front of you. What could you be perceiving in your mind that could be so hilarious if it's basically just a blur? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it's. I'd like to know more about like if there have been studies about what babies dream of, which I'm sure there have been.
0: The most recent development with him though is that he is now trying to roll over and we discovered this because one morning we woke up and he was completely rotated in his bassinet not like mm-hmm. not like stomach or back to stomach but like he did like a 180 rotation where his head and his feet were like reverse like he'd spun around on his back
1: basically it was like he was sleeping upside down
0: no, that sounds like, bad.
1: <laughs> not, I'm only like, like okay. face down. Like if but... you're laying
0: in your bed and your head is on your pillow and your feet are at the edge of the bed, imagine yourself like with your head at the edge of the bed and your feet on yeah. your pillow. That's, he like That's, well, he yeah, did that. But, yeah. So he was still on his back, but he like completely reversed the the, the direction that he was sleeping. And we woke up and we we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the, I asked you, I was like... Did, did we put him in the bassinet that direction and I just forgot?
1: <laughs> no, because I think I had woken up a couple times and, because I heard him cooing because uh, he would wake up every now and then through the morning and I would see him like slowly kick his... Not slowly because he's like frantically kicking his feet and then just slowly rotating as it's happening and then he would fall back asleep then he'd kind of wake up again <laughs> and kick and then fall back asleep until he eventually... Just turned his body all the way the other way.
0: Well, I woke up when he was already turned around. I was like, did he Did he levitate and then lay down the other way? It was crazy. Uh, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? But yeah, that that's the newest thing with him. He's trying to roll over. Um, and everyone's like, get ready. He'll be mobile soon. And I'm like, oh uh, boy. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then it's over, especially for our dog Rigby. He's never going <laughs> to escape him.
0: Well, speaking of babies, what an appropriate topic for Oshinoko, which is all about, at least in the first episode, twin babies who are reincarnated individuals. Well, they're not necessarily
1: (laughs) babies, but yeah. They're
0: physically babies that are mentally um, one an adult and one like a teenager, I guess. Uh, Yeah, Oshinoko. Let's just start off by saying that we didn't know anything about Oshinoko. Um, we had some members of our Discord talking about it.
1: Yeah. So shout out to the big yikes. Big fan of Oshinoko. Yeah.
0: And, and like talking all, not talking, but like sharing information about this anime, hyping it up. And I'm like, what what's going on with this anime? So we read the synopsis, I think, in one of our um, Patreon bonus content. And I was like, what the fuck is is this because the, the synopsis at least at the time i haven't looked at it recently um on mal just sounded so wild like a gynecologist gets killed and then reincarnated into you know a, a twin baby for this idol that he loves i was like this sounds super crazy i thought it was gonna be a comedy or just some like really um really out there kind of show but mm-hmm. it is not at all what I expected, and I'm very pleasantly surprised. I don't think the synopsis does o- Oshinoko justice. Someone should go back on Mal and rewrite it. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that we didn't shy away from this one.
1: Yeah, because the synopsis, I think I read the same one. It didn't extend any further beyond like what we see in the first episode. So like, I didn't know what to expect. I just thought, oh, this is just, like you said, going to be like, comedy related to how this big fan of this idol gets to be her her very own child um (laughs) that was not the case at all because that first episode was a whirlwind as I'm sure we'll discuss uh but I guess speaking of whirlwinds I, I feel like Oshinoko is to 2023 what almost like what my dress up darling was to 2022 and how it just took the anime world and the anime community by storm.
0: I'll see your comparison and I'll raise you a comparison. I feel like the first episode of Oshinoko rivals the impact that the first episode of To Your Eternity had on the anime community. To Your Eternity yeah. season one. I remember when that episode came out, and I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen To Your Eternity, but it just was all the rage it was it was what everyone was talking about um all the buzz was about it because it just came out of nowhere and hit you right in the feels in a way you didn't expect um and it just kind of set to your eternity apart at that time the same thing here with Oshinoko. I mean, granted, it's much, much longer. I think that was a it was a, almost like an hour long episode.
1: Uh, an hour and twenty two minutes. Oh yeah,
0: it was like a like a mini movie. It was a movie yeah. basically. Yeah. Um. But yeah, a phenomenal start to this anime, and I completely get why everyone was so hype about Oshinoko after that first episode. But really, when it comes down to it, Oshinoko is like one giant commentary on how fucked up. The idol industry is in Japan and really the entertainment industry in general and how brutal like the music and and film industries and other industries can really be and I think that's that's interesting because it's not the first time this topic has been tackled but I feel like Oshinoko does it in a way that is so like raw and honest.
1: Yeah I was honestly surprised at the way this show focused on what I would call both the boon and the bane of Japanese pop culture, that is the idol industry, uh, and, and just did it in a way that was so, like, just critical. I mean, it, it's, it still shows, like, all the glitz, like, the glitz and the glamour of it, but it also shows the really dark side where being an idol isn't all about, like, rainbows and butterflies. And in that sense, it's, like, I I, as a viewer feel so conflicted about what's happening in this show especially in terms of the 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 reincarnated twins because on one side you have ruby and you like want to support her rise to fame much like her idol mother but then you also have the other side of the coin with aqua whose mission is to I, i guess basically take down the masterminds that are pulling the strings in this industry and creating this very like pretty much toxic environment. Uh, and yeah, it's just really intriguing that this show has this dichotomy of both the good and the bad of this world that we are familiar with, but at the same time we're not too familiar with.
0: I think the interesting thing about the story because again, like there have been other stories that follow idols and all this stuff, or that have, um, you know, a similar situations like what happened to Ai in the first episode. Um, but what sets Oshinoko apart is that it has this great mystery. Like the, the real end game for Oshinoko is who set up Ai's death. It's mm-hmm. not about. Ruby becoming an idol or Aqua becoming an actor or making it in the idol industry or whatever. Like, they could have just taken Ai's death and said, like, this is a reality of the idol industry and and stalkers. And then just left it at that and then used her death to fuel Aqua and Ruby's, um, you know, success. But no, they were like, we're going to make this into partly a mystery. We're going to we're going to give you a great mystery that's going to linger throughout the story. Um, about who set all of this up? Like, who is Aqua and Ruby's real father, and what did he do to basically lead to I to her death? I'm also really not like surprised, but like still kind of surprised that this is a Doga Kobo anime. I was looking um when I when we first started watching it, I'm like, "Who animated this? It's fucking amazing." And then I saw Doga and I'm like, "Holy shit. Like Doga has done really great stuff before, but I feel like not anything to this caliber." So, I'm like, "This is great. They're pulling out all the stops and I can't even imagine the resources that they allocated on just the eyes like I know it's a thing in the anime industry that's oh, a
1: growing thing right now with the eyes yeah
0: like it's it's known that like there's a lot of time spent on eyes like characters eyes but I mean there are times when like obviously the hoshino's like I aqua and ruby have like these insane looking eyes and there's really big close-ups but there's times that even non-hoshino characters have eyes that look like the fucking universe is in mm-hmm. there like that's got to take so much effort and that, it's amazing that they've they've gone that far to bring this anime to life
1: and it's not like just two different colors that are used to um, animate these eyes it's like um like a whole palette which is just crazy and of course with the Hoshinos you have or the Hoshinos uh, you have like their the star sort of design of it which just looks complex as well. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched many of Doga Kobo's works, but I am seeing um, in their uh, recent TV repertoire that they did Shikimori's Not Just a Cutie, which... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I think people who've listened to the podcast know my opinions about that show, but I, I guess I'm not surprised in the sense because the eyes in that one were also just... Very finely animated. Uh, so, I guess, yeah, right choice of studio to take on this story.
0: But yeah, to, to touch on that a little bit more, like there's stuff that I've watched from Dogo Kobo. Um, like, I'm looking here on Mal um, Nozaki Kun. I've, I've seen that. Um, My Senpai is Annoying. That was a recent one. Tarakun. I've watched that. Um, and I'm filtering this by like the most popular stuff that they have. So yeah, I feel like they've done solid work, but this is just like in a league of its own. They just like jumped up 100 levels and they're like, fuck it, we're going all in on Oshinoko and it has certainly paid off so far.
1: Even with the, the idol performance scenes, like they're so in your face and just an explosion or like a, a sensory overload of, um, like just sweeping camera angles. And then you have these dance moves, but it all just comes together really well. And in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming, even though I'm sure a lot of like real, real life idol performances can be overwhelming, but this, the way they do it here is just, I would say like, it's very tasteful moving on from animation to the OP and ED, as we get ready for our synopsis and discussion, We'll start with the OP, which is Idle by Yo Asobi, which I was surprised that uh had been chosen as the artist for the OP. I feel like, I know they've been around for quite some time, uh, but I think that they've kind of exploded in popularity thanks to TikTok because a lot of their songs are being used on that platform. Uh, but yeah, again, song is Idle. And visuals wise. Really quick, it. were
0: you surprised that Yoasobi was the artist for the OP because you're expecting an idol group? Because I was like, how ironic would it would it be <laughs> if they hired an idol group yeah. for the OP and ED when it's like a commentary on idol culture?
1: Yeah. I that would make sense that they decided not to go with an <laughs> idol group. Um, but I think Yoasobi was the right choice. And even with this song, uh, I think it's almost like a parody of, of like all of those idol songs that we've probably listened to over the years. Uh, but to just quickly go over the visuals of, of this OP, of course it showcases the glitz and glamour of these idol groups and kind of showing the, the flawless facade in its attempt to capture the attention of the masses but then it's also interspersed with the uh, grown-up or like the high school versions of of aqua and ruby as they're both pursuing their their separate paths Uh, so a lot that's that's going on visually in this op
0: i love the song i think it is a perfect fit for oshinoko because it has a combination of this like bubbly idol feel while at the same time having this dark undertone the entire time, especially when the chanting parts come out, it's like making it feel as if this whole idol situation is like you're part of a cult almost. Mm-hmm. And it's like the the dark parts of it, I think, is probably to mimic the feeling of the dark side of the industries that they touch on in Oshinoko and the the crazed fans and the online commentary and just all of the negativity while at the same time you know the bubbly parts kind of mimic the glitz and the glam that you had talked about. So yeah, I think the the song is addicting. I think it's great. Um, And yeah, I I love that they were able to blend the the dark feelings with the bubbly feelings.
1: Yeah, I guess to to tie back to to visuals with the way that this song is structured, you have that beginning part where it's the singer sort of rapping about like the sort of deception that an idol is doing to their fans. And you juxtapose that with it's like an almost sinister feel to the depictions of the stage, stages and the lights among all these rapid shots of, again, Aqua and Ruby and just the idol industry landscape. Uh, but then you go from that, that sort of... Uh, not sinister, but like that ominous rap into the bubbly, I guess, EDM rhythm that also, like I said, it feels like it's parodying Idol songs. And then the OP wraps up with this haunting choir, which, like you said, it feels like they're chanting because there's almost like a cult-like nature to the, the legions of Idol fans that... Strictly or <laughs> strictly, strictly, uh, but just obsessively worship these artists. And lyrics wise, again, it touches upon a lot of that. Again, with commenting on how idols interact with their fans or what they do with their performances, lyrics like you're putting on a play, deceiving all the eyes before you. By the way, I know that Yoasobi did an English version of this song but I just looked up the translated lyrics for the Japanese version because I listened to a little bit of the English version and I, I couldn't get into it like the Japanese version. Uh, but yeah, lyrics like, you're putting on a plate deceiving all the eyes before you. I've never seen such a liar. This lie is love and this lie is a gift to the world, which I think is a huge component of the stuff that happens in the show, the idea of lying. Um, and then... So I fall into these words and lead the fans on all the time. But then on the flip side, there are lyrics that I feel like are almost like messages from Ruby and Aqua thanking the idol industry for almost like giving them a purpose with things like the radiance you bring into the world is the one thing that will never fade.
0: Like a message to I almost.
1: Yeah. Then we have the ED. Which is the song Mephisto by Queen Bee. This one too
0: not the hentai.
1: No. I <laughs> got confused at first. <laughs> I think they're called Queen Bee, like as as the English name, but uh, their Japanese name is Ziovachi. Hopefully I'm or Jobachi. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh but yes, it's Queen Bee. Song again is Mephisto. It's a very interesting song. Again, this this one it doesn't evoke feelings of like idols and entertainment. Um, kind of teetering the line, but has this sort of grungy feel. I think it's Aqua
0: song. That's what I think of it as.
1: Yeah. Okay. Is I can so I, moody? see that. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, the band itself, Queen Bee, the genres are, are mostly like kind of punk and and rock. Um and yeah visuals wise it's it's just a lot of moody scenes of Ruby and aqua um I think there's a lot of scenes featured from the first episode, and yeah, I think it it, it evokes more of the mystery of the show and I guess music wise like i said there's like a more surreal and abstract quality to the musical sound that kind of complements the show enveloping itself in mystery and intrigue amongst the flashy and glamorous backdrops.
0: I personally am not crazy about the ED song. Um yeah, I just I, I do love the start of the E D, how they kind of introduce it at the end of each episode and use it as a transition to like wrap up what's going on at the end of the episode, moving into the title card and then moving into the actual E D. But the song itself I'm not crazy about it. It's not a bad song. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, but I do like the visuals and how they kind of change at times, um, depending on like what part of the anime you're at, which is not new in anime by by any means. But um, it is like some of the visuals are really nice, especially the E.D. from the, the E.D. visuals from the last episode. I just love the way they animated all the girls, like th- those poses that they had um, and the colors that they use. I just thought it was really nice.
1: And lyrics-wise, I think it, like you mentioned, it makes sense that it's almost like it's being sung from Aqua's perspective. Um, kind of has similar themes with the OP, with lyrics like, it seems like you were born with a gift for falsehoods, but I think this song can also be interpreted as one about tenacity and putting one's life on the line for what they desire With lyrics like, because I risk my life and give up my life, isn't it the reason you have given me time? I wish I could accomplish, grant every and all desires. Uh, I think that kind of speaks to Aqua's and Ruby's characters, like with what, I know like I didn't cause them to be reincarnated, but I was almost like a catalyst for them to kind of pursue what they want, even though Aqua's pursuit is more of like a, a vendetta. And then Ruby's is more of like walking in her mother's footsteps. All right, Strictly Fam, it's time to stop idling around as we wotage into our synopsis and discussion for Oshinoko, the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written by Aka Akasaka and illustrated by Mengo Yokoyari. Produced by Doga Kobo and directed by Daisuke Hiramaki. The series follows a gynecologist and his terminally ill patient as they are reincarnated as the children of their beloved J-pop idol who must keep her not-so-newborns out of the public eye despite her rise to fame. Fun fact, Aka Akasaka is also the writer behind Kaguya-sama Love is War.
0: I heard that, or I read that somewhere. I was like, okay, shit.
1: Yeah, which reminds me I should probably get back on watching that show i've only watched one season of it in episode one mother and children a gynecologist a terminally ill patient and a j-pop idol walk into a hospital they walk out together as a family though not in the way dom toretto would have expected while the patient succumbed to her illness the gyno booked a fatal appointment with the idol's stalker and both have a jobless reincarnation as the idol's fraternal twin offspring as the sweet life of Doc Aqua and Ruby begins, they dabble in the witchcraft and wizardry of the entertainment industry while witnessing their favorite idol's steady rise to stardom, until it all comes plummeting down with her own unexpected fatal appointment with Dr. Stalked her. Can you say, ay caramba? Left with their mother's aspirations of their futures, Ruby decides to follow in her footsteps because somehow being an idol still seems appealing. While Doc Aqua pursues a career in acting, that is, in acting revenge on their biological father, who just couldn't keep it in his pants.
0: I was wondering why the first episode was the length of a full movie, but after watching it, I completely understand why. I think that was a very smart decision by Dogokobo. Um that It's a very risky one, but it one is one that pays yeah. off. Oh, hundred percent. And and like the prologue just would have been best like as one whole piece kind of similar as I mentioned before it's like the first episode of Two your eternity although that one was just like a regular size episode like it just needed to be told all at once so if they needed an hour almost an hour and a half versus 20 to 25 minutes to tell it like good on them for doing that um, I can't imagine having the same impact if we had to take a break or multiple breaks throughout that prologue um, storytelling. So yeah, I thought that was great. But it's clear after watching the first episode that there are some pretty serious themes going on here. I think some of the ones that they re- they initially introduce are themes of lies told by idols in the industries to satiate their fans. Or themes of like basically selling your soul for a slim chance at making it as some like famous celebrity. Or thing theme- themes of like talent not being the only thing you need to make it but more importantly power and connections um there are some like similarities to perfect blue i don't think you've seen that yet right
1: no but i've been wanting to for quite a while it's
0: really good i mean perfect blue is much much darker than this um but it's it's got some of those same themes going on so like i mentioned before i don't think the creators are holding back on this at all I think that they're being very brutally honest about what it's like to be in this industry um, and just giving everyone that reminder or that eye-opening experience. But truthfully, (laughs) the timing of this episode releasing, it was very, I don't know, it it was interesting from a personal level. And the first episode hit me right in the feels harder than I would have thought it would because of all the motherhood stuff. Um, the timing was just like insane to me because I had just given birth to our son like only a few weeks before watching this. And then after seeing what happens to I um, and her journey in the hospital and all this stuff, I was like, too soon. <laughs> I just went through all of that stuff. And then watching the video that she made that they show in the post-credits... I was actually sitting next to our our baby like you know he was he was with us when we were watching and he was just like right there next to us and I just like gave him a big hug afterwards cuz I was getting so choked up and so emotional. I was like holy shit this is this is too timely. What the fuck?
1: Yeah, that post credits scene where it shows I celebrating the twins first birthday and like knowing her fate prior to that was just like just turning the knife in the wound um
0: which is funny because she died from a (laughs) stab not funny but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah
1: that's that's ironic i guess that i I use that metaphor um but yeah just what a great first episode i have to
0: say i just want to one more thing about about her like her whole death scene and everything like i think even if we hadn't had our baby like that soon after this episode released, I think it still would have been very much emotionally impactful, 100%. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think Doga Kobo held back at all on her death scene. No. Like, the whole episode was very beautiful. Like, there were some very heavy moments, um, especially in the hospital and whatnot. But holy shit. Like, they really went all in on her death scene, on I's death scene. The final shot of her when she actually died was eerie as fuck. She looked, like, dark and just, like, obviously she was right. dead at that point but they didn't make her look dead in a like positive way they made her look like she it was freaky it was almost something that you would see in like a horror or scary anime or something that yeah. that's kind of the the vibe i was getting like the the facial expressions on the twins were absolutely heart wrenching her dead body was just like i don't know just freaky to to see on screen so yeah i think that's there's smart choices all around by Doug Kobo with this show.
1: Yeah, it's obviously the complete opposite of the glitz and glam that I is featured in uh, when she's in the Idol spotlight. Because uh, you just have this really visceral and very real moment with her impending death. I especially love how the, the star, like the star that's. Almost become a part of her design, uh, like her part of her like iconic design. It it fades from her eyes, and that's how you obviously know that she has passed away. Uh, but I think the ironic thing here is that in her death, I feel like I was the most authentic to herself because this whole episode, again, the theme of it, and I guess of the entire show too, is that lies our love, or in Ai's case, she says that I'm I'm made up of lies in her role as an idol, even though this is something that I feel like she was aspiring to be, even though she had like a very dark childhood with her mother, um, calling her like a people-hating liar, which almost feels like that's that was like her role as an idol, is even though she was connecting to, or with fans on this level, it was like she was also distant. But then it wasn't until she had her newborn twins that she started to realize, like, what love really is and what what really gives her purpose in life. And, of course, that's what she imparts onto, I guess, Aqua because Ruby was stuck behind the door, right? Yeah. When she was just saying all of these things, all of these aspirations she had for her children and for them to become successful, even though she wasn't going to be around to see any of that. Um, but, so I think that's where I, you start to real or like I starts to realize like what's really important in life. Um, and it's, it's not being part of the idol industry. It's just genuinely connecting with someone and in this case it's her children
0: because i think leading up to that she had said that she had not once told them i love you because she just didn't she was scared or like uncertain if that was also going to be a lie because there were just so many lies that she had to live Mm -hmm. Um, but then in the end you know it's it's very clear that she did very much love the twins
1: but yeah this episode just flew by for it being nearly an hour and a half but, of course, like, it just ropes you. And, like, the first half, I'm not going to lie, they had us in the first half where I just thought it was going to be a stupid show about someone being reincarnated and just living out their fantasies of being with their, their favorite J-pop idol. It almost reminded me of Rugrats in, the, in a way it's like talking. Reincarnation? Oh. (laughs) I mean, yeah, there's that, but then you have these babies who are talking to each other, even though the adults realize that, oh, shit, these babies are talking to each other as well. Uh, But then it it goes into the drama route in the second half. And then you you see at the end when Ruby and Aqua are grown up as high school students that this is really just all (laughs) a revenge story. It's almost like it's encompassing all these different genres, but it's building up the mystery of the show, which is the most intriguing and that we have to find out who I's lover was or Ruby Nakwa's biological father, the one who kind of set everything in motion uh, for these events to take place. Last thing I have about this episode, I really love. I, I guess I really hate that I love the, one of the songs that the B Komachi idol group sings. It's Sainwa B. It's the one where Ruby and Aqua as uh, infants are doing the Wotage, which oh, is yeah. the idol <laughs> fan dance. Um, I, I feel like the song itself, it like it, it's, it is also parodying idol culture, but... Maybe it's just the bubbly nature of it that just makes me love it so much, even though I also at the same time hate it so much.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's I. She was a legendary idol. She just drew you in.
1: Yeah. They're they're getting to me, I guess. (laughs) In episode two, third option, despite his daily assistant directing duties, Doc Aqua does his damnedest to distance Ruby from the drab of idolatry, until their mother's former management company, Strawberry Blueberry Productions, decides to J-pop back into the music game with the twin sister as its newest idol recruit. The pair stay true to their mother's wishes by enrolling in the School of Acting Chops, reuniting with child actress Boon. though once she finds out that Doc Aqua has no desire to take acting classes, it feels kind of awkward. By the way, I forgot to mention this in episode one. Ai Hoshino is voiced by Rie Takahashi. Hell yeah, I love and, her. Yeah, she did a damn fantastic job as Ai, even in her like one episode of Screen Time. <laughs> Although I think it it's very clear that Ai's presence is still felt throughout the show um, in the subsequent episodes.
0: I love that, this is kind of a comment on the entire season, I love that after episode one, you don't really get much voice acting from Ria Takahashi because you don't really get any, like, uh, dialogue from Ai. It's just people remembering Ai and talking about how she is a legend Mm -hmm. and, like, seeing, um, you know, videos of her concerts and seeing her posters and stuff. But very rarely do you actually get a memory of Ai or any moments of Ai talking um, or even the twins really talking about their mother. So that's great because it makes you feel like she truly is a memory at this point. Like it, it yeah. immerses you more into what's going on in the situation. But to that point, episode two, I think, has a 10-year time skip.
1: Um, I think so because yeah, they're in, almost in high school basically.
0: Yeah, and so we are kind of put into the situation where it's like, here's what's going on now. They've just been living their lives just trying to figure out you know where they want to go and just remembering i the best that they can and i love that throughout the show aqua's i star is dark at many moments it's not always dark but it goes dark similar to i in the first episode where there was a flashback of when she first got scouted and she was i think in a cafe or something talking to um the scout or whatever, and basically was saying, like, I need to live a life of lies, or, like, I haven't had a very good life, or something really dark um about her and her past. And her eyes just go, like, her eye stars go dark in that moment. So Aqua's kind of on a very interesting path that's represented through the fact that his eye star turns dark at many moments.
1: And I think Ruby and Aqua, there star eye I star whatever uh each has the opposite eye so it i think ruby has the left eye with the star and um aqua has the right eye although with left always being considered like the more sinister side i feel like it should have been flipped but i don't know i i, I that was their stylistic choice i guess it's weird to think though that these are supposed to be reincarnated people living out high school lives. Lives. (laughs) Now I'm saying (laughs) lives. Living out high school lives. Because there are points during the show where I forget that Aqua is a doctor and Ruby is uh, a terminally ill patient. Did that ever happen for you?
0: Yeah, 100%. Like even in episode two, I thought to myself, like in the middle of Aqua being lectured by um, the director, like he's some kid. I was like, wait a minute. He's probably mentally the same age as the director by now because it's yeah. been a 10-year time skip. But to that point, I I do struggle at times thinking that Aqua, who again was originally a doctor in a small town, could be so insightful into the entertainment industry and so crafty with plotting this whole like dad revenge plan. Like it's almost like Aqua knows every detail of the industry. But his knowledge has to be somewhat limited if his, even if his mom was an idol, like they still kept the twins at bay. They still kept them, you know, in secret. So they only rarely got to go to any of her concerts. They just watched what they saw on TV. So they weren't exposed as much to the behind the scenes stuff because they weren't allowed to go to it. I just don't see how he could be so well versed in that entertainment industry unless he's been doing a lot of work. Acting over that 10-year time skip, but he he wasn't he didn't want to be an actor
1: Well, no in that case I can see like the reincarnation coming in because him being a, a Fanatic of I in the previous life. I feel like many idol fans are just so well ingrained with how idol culture just works in general that he has an understanding of it from that experience.
0: But do they have an understanding of idol culture from the front end and not the back end? Back end meaning like like basically what the show is showing us, like the truth behind everything, the behind the scenes of everything, like what actually goes on when idols aren't on stage. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But then I kind of compare it to real life where you and I, like how do we know about all of these sort of scandalous things happening in the industry? It's because we we read news articles or exposes about it. So uh, I I feel like Aqua or uh, the doctor, whoever, has this full understanding of what's going on.
0: True. And I mean, if that's the case, then, yeah, I guess it makes more sense because he's mentally much older than Ruby's reincarnated self. Mm -hmm. So he's got life experiences um, but they do kind of like touch on that a little bit in one of the later episodes. So I'll talk about that a little bit more at that point because it is interesting how that kind of went a little bit meta. Um, but I, I do appreciate in episode two how they jumped right into idol culture. And they had that one that one girl that they were trying to scout. And she was explaining like the working conditions of an idol and like the contract that she's under and how she gets paid and how she gets paid very little and we you and I have watched youtube videos on this before um, and have learned that they basically make nothing for all of the work that they put in mm-hmm. so here is just interesting to have that same information you know shared in this anime it's like you know it really is a struggle to be an idol and with that aqua sabotaging ruby's chances at becoming an idol basically to protect her from the life that i lived and the dangers of stalkers. And I don't blame him at all. But then you have Ruby, who's kind of the opposite, where she understands the risk from her time spent with I, but wants to follow in I's footsteps and continue her legacy. So I think you kind of touched on this earlier that Aqua and Ruby are embodying what I meant to them, but in very opposite ways.
1: Yeah. Although I, I'm just surprised that Ruby isn't overall jaded by what happened to i i mean it's it's well, I think very it's... mature for her to move on from that moment and kind of frame it in a more positive light like you you're saying um, i i guess i don't know if this is the case but like ruby trying to take her talents to prove herself as an idol in a a, a better direction rather than what we understand like the highs and lows of the industry to be
0: well, it's probably because Ruby is a kid, really. Like she was she passed away as you know, a kid that's true, yeah. and is still a kid, um, you know, just living this this new life. And I think it's purposeful. As you mentioned in the first episode that Ruby was behind the door when I was killed, um, because she didn't she probably didn't see or experience nearly as much as aqua did. And I'm sure it was even worse for aqua being a reincarnated doctor, knowing exactly where she got stabbed, uh, knowing exactly yeah. how quickly she would die, and even if he could do anything to save her, he was in the body of a of a baby and like literally couldn't do what he wanted or needed to do. So I think it hits it probably hits aqua 10 times harder given the full situation.
1: So it's almost like yeah, Ruby represents like the innocence of like wanting to rise to stardom because now she has like this new lease on life where she can properly do the things that she's always wanted to do. And, and that's the things in part two, I inspiring her in her previous life. And then Aqua is sort of like the, the maturity of it where he, he, he knows the risks and the challenges of this industry and in a way is trying to upheave that by finding out who his biological father is i know this episode also i guess it doesn't introduce her but she was in the first episode as a cameo but here it's almost like she's a main cast member with Makana's introduction or reintroduction uh i just look this up. I didn't realize it was Megumi Han who voices her.
0: Really? What? Yeah. She does go freaks, right? Mm hmm. Gone. on. Yeah.
1: But I think she is very versatile in her roles. So.
0: I had no clue. Normally, you know me, I usually pick up on that shit real fast if I recognize a voice actor.
1: Mm hmm. And I, when I saw her come back in this episode, I, I was kind of annoyed at first because I know she came off as like the bratty child actor from episode one she's the Sunday. today yeah but she has a very interesting trajectory throughout this show so kind of glad that she was introduced as like a, a tertiary protagonist in episode three manga-based tv drama kanabun pressures doc aqua to get back on the acting track with a role on a cw teenage drama which entices him to due to show producer Kaburagi's secret connection to his idol mother. However, like any CW teenage drama, the show is complete ass and does not do justice to Kanabun's comeback kid attempt. So after catching smokes from Kaburagi to test his DNA, Doc Aqua does Kanabun a favor and turns this CW teenage drama into an HBO coming-of-age television event.
0: Oof, hearing the creator of the manga was so disappointed with the show's adaptation because um, it turned out poorly. It was basically being used to, prom- to promote like models. That was just interesting. That was so meta. Yeah, because <laughs> how many times have we experienced an anime where the manga was super hyped up and then the anime adaptation was uh, not so great? And I know this is supposed to be like a live-action adaptation, uh, but even still... It's something that, like, even as an anime fan, you kind of experience what that's like. And you can see the disappointment that manga readers have when an anime adaptation doesn't live up to what the manga has to offer. Then you also hear just, like, the disappointment that a creator can have when that adaptation doesn't go well. Because, you know, it's a huge deal, I'm sure, for a creator to have their work recognized in that way. And then for it to just turn out like shit probably just feels awful and then another big oof when you have Adima saying that she's been working so hard to rebuild her career and get another chance and then finally she's been cast on this show where her talents are valued but then you have the producer on the other end saying like this whole thing is just a promo for something else and that her acting comes dirt cheap so they're saving a ton of money again they're just like not holding back like they they're showing that like even the most talented, passionate individuals can get steamrolled by just being used as a pawn in the whole entertainment game.
1: Which we all know is the unfortunate truth <laughs> in <laughs> entertainment. Uh, yeah, this fallacy of getting to stay true to yourself in this industry in order to to get ahead. Because uh, I, I called her Kana, but I guess Arima, uh, She does have acting chops. It's just that her her image as this child actor um, has has sort of gotten in the way of people really recognizing her talents. But it's a shame because I think she calls the show a ham buffet because it's more towards like promoting these these handsome boy actors, right? The male Um, models. Yeah, rather than really showing her acting prowess. Uh, but it's interesting that Aqua joins the fray because he's made it clear that he doesn't want any part in the spotlight, but then he's constantly having to use his natural talent, which is almost like inherited from Ai, to further his own objectives. But then in this case, he also uses it to Anima's advantage by really showcasing her acting ability.
0: It's ironic that he has to play a stalker in this show, but I was kind of hoping that that would have more of an impact on him, and it kind of seemed like it didn't. He was just like, oh, that's interesting that I have to play a stalker when a stalker killed my mom, versus like having any real emotional impact with that whole situation. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. it, on some level, that's got to be really uncomfortable for him given what he witnessed, I mean, he witnessed a stalker stab his mother and kill her. Um, so you'd think that he may he he would have like a little harder time accepting this role, but I guess he was fine.
1: he kind of just like he acknowledged it, but then he was like, like he just brushed it off. But he he played the role with flying colors. Maybe because he had the experience. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> method acting is that what you call
1: it? Yeah, or method acting is where like you you immerse yourself as that well whatever acting is
0: drawing from your own experiences
1: in episode four actors the cw teenage dramas series finale gets a boost in ratings thanks to doc aqua's performative prescription which gives kanabun some much needed recognition the show's rap party however is anything but as mori's dna test proves kaburagi is not the father Though the producer offers to spill some massive tea about Ay to Doc Aqua in exchange for his participation on an MTV reality show about high school being a serious thing, these problems matter. Wanting an ounce of her twin brother's growing popularity, Ruby begs Strawberry Blueberry Productions to get their idol group project moving. But when Doc Aqua puts in his recommendation for the next group member, it feels kinda awkward.
0: I had a feeling the producer wasn't actually their dad. Like, I think that would have been too easy. (laughs) It would have
1: resolved the show too quickly.
0: Yeah, Um, but he's obviously chock full of information and has the ability to connect Aqua to whoever or whatever he needs to fulfill his ultimate goal. So I think the producer is going to be a really interesting character as the show goes on. Um, I did find it weird that he was so willing to just spill all of the tea on I to this kid that he just met um, all because he claims to be like a really big fan of, of hers. Yeah. Like it just seemed a little far fetched. Unless
1: he is trying to use Aqua to his own advantage. He is. I think that's the
0: whole motivation is like, Oh, well I'll give you what you want, but in exchange you need to be in like certain projects for me because everything's all about like favors in this industry. But again, it just like something about it didn't feel super convincing but it's fine. It's a minor detail at the end of the day, and it's more important that Aqua's gotten the information that he needs, at least some of the information that he needs, that there is some guy out there um, that I fell in love with and kind of changed her.
1: Yeah, and this episode just kind of resolves Arima's struggle with getting her acting chops recognized, and again, it's Aqua who kind of helps her, usher that in with the show's sudden burst in popularity with the series finale um it's interesting that he wanted to use arima as part of the idol group as well because i think that's a a big swerve <laughs> i think yeah, that's explored in the next episode but um i, I was kind of wondering that when that was the cliffhanger at the end of this episode another thing i just noticed uh, i think i mentioned this as a One of my guilty pleasures in anime is seeing fake brands. Uh, One that's prominent in the show is one that's parodying Monster Energy, and that's the Berserker Energy drink that's on the assistant director's desk, I think, in one of the shots. be
0: a Monster Energy drink?
1: Yeah, Monster Energy, but they call it Berserker Energy. But it's also weird because there are many mentions of real... Life, social media brands in the show like YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok—they're uh, s- just so lax about saying those things. But then when it comes to like products, <laughs> they just default to again one of my guilty pleasures,
0: which I found weird because so many other anime will make up names for like the social media platforms. But here yeah. they're like, "Fuck it!" I don't know if they have some agreement or what. I'm kind of glad that they use the real names because it it helps with the immersion but it was surprising.
1: Yeah, because you can't use, like, Twitter. It doesn't have the same impact as (laughs) as Twitter. In episode 5, Reality Dating Show, Kanabun reluctantly agrees to join Strawberry Blueberry Productions in a ploy to get closer to Doc Aqua, but gets flustered when she learns about his involvement in the MTV reality show about high school being a serious thing, especially when it still features CW teenage romance. But there's no time to waste as she and Ruby work on attracting new idol fans through a social media viral video collaboration with Buff Birdman. They celebrate their achievement by christening their idol group with a name, B. Komachi, the same name of Aicaramba's idol group. A shame they couldn't be original.
0: I don't get... PA on the bird. I'm, get, I'm wondering if this is a Japanese specific thing. Like, is there a Japanese YouTuber who actually does have a similar channel where it's like some buff dude who makes kids content wearing a mask? Because I was like, I don't... I get what they're trying to go for. Like, it's a, a quirky unique youtuber who has a lot of views um and is very committed to the role and is going to give some pointers to them but i was also kind of like am i missing something here i again i feel like maybe it's a japanese thing
1: yeah i feel like there have been a lot of extravagant characters uh, in japanese entertainment like kind of almost for for shock value even though this isn't really shock value it's just like very quirky uh, but yeah, I guess it it feels like fully Japanese.
0: The entertainment industry that they're tapping into is pretty expansive. They kind of don't they don't hold back with any particular group. I know in the previous episode they mentioned some of the students are like pinup models. Like they they range from like pinup models to like streamers. And then here in episode five, I think they're introducing like the world of YouTube as well as the world of reality shows. So again, reading the synopsis about Oshinoko, it like doesn't even it doesn't give you the full range of like what they're going to be tackling when they say like entertainment industry. Yeah, idol industry, idol culture is gonna be the main focus, but there's still plenty of other stuff that they're giving us here.
1: Yeah, they're they're going for everyone in, in this show.
0: They're not holding back at all.
1: Yeah. Which I, I guess is great because I thought it was just idle, idle, idle all the way through. But um, yeah, just really highlighting the aspects of these other components of the entertainment industry that are just as scathing as the accusations and presumptions made about the idle industry. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, because I guess there's an inside joke with Arima, being known in the community as Baking Soda-chan. Uh, and this is because of something that Ruby had mentioned. I don't really remember this happening. I don't know if this was in episode one or if this was something from the manga. Um, but there, I have an article from CBR.com that kind of explains this inside joke because in the world of Oshinoko, I'm reading from the article. Arima was known as a genius child actress who can make herself cry in 10 seconds. But Ruby only remembers her as a genius child actress who licks baking soda. And I think it's just the way that these phrases are pronounced in Japanese. Like there's a a, a misunderstanding of of one word that turns it into baking soda. Um, So I can put this article up on the discord for anyone who's interested and if you are not a member of the discord the link to that is in the description Uh, but i guess this led to arima's character being used in real life to promote a a baking soda brand before the show was even airing
0: (laughs) and her t-shirt says baking show baking soda baking soda when they're in like the practice room right
1: yeah I think in a yeah, later episode when they're practicing a routine. Uh, so I think maybe someone, maybe the big yikes can clarify, like w- how if like the, the anime knew this inside joke and, and just included this as like Easter eggs for, uh for fans of the show in episode six, ego surfing. The MTV reality show about high school being a serious thing gets even more serious when one of its cast, Akane, fucks around and finds out in order to try and salvage her acting career. It of course opens up Akane of worms on the internet, where she is subject to the worst kinds of vitriol ever spewed on a keyboard, leading her towards an attempt to lose it all, slip, and fall. Thankfully, Doc Aqua pulls her out of the darkness and into his starry, starry light.
0: What a great episode, just like horrible to watch, but incredibly entertaining and just mm-hmm. so real. Um, we, we've we established that lies are a key theme throughout Oshinoko and how lies fuel everything in the entertainment industry, and that's really hit upon in this episode. Uh, my dad growing up always told us, you know, never believe anything you see on TV because you know, most of the time, that's true. You really shouldn't believe anything that you see on TV. And even with the reality show and stuff, they're they're saying like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to set this whole romance up. Or, you know, if you talk about stuff that's going on, you know, between you and another person, make sure you do it in front of the camera. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just all fueled by whatever gets the most views, whatever is most sensationalized. But The reason this episode hits especially hard is what happens to Akane. You've got all of this pressure to make your mark and and you know spew all these lies and deal with all this judgment. And this chain of events pushes Akane to attempt to jump off that bridge down to the street below. I think,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it's it's something that I feel like everyone in this day and age has been exposed to to a certain degree, whether you've been attacked online for sharing your opinion about something, um, or if you've shared, you know, your thoughts very aggressively (laughs) with somebody (laughs) um, in a not so nice manner. I mean, I I think that it's, it's something that is just so real and you don't have to be a star on a reality show to, to kind of feel what Akane is going through. You don't have to be an actor or an idol or whatever to feel what it would be like to get attacked online Um, and hopefully i mean really hopefully no one's gone through something as extreme as this but when you think about it the internet is a blessing and a curse people are so easy or so quick to show their ugly side when they can hide behind a screen that they don't stop to think like what impact will my words have on the person that i'm speaking to
1: and that since i really enjoyed this episode i would say this is my second favorite with the first being um episode 1 but it it was just good because it was so dark in highlighting this really awful side of entertainment and social media and especially putting into the light the harsh dangers of cyberbullying cuz like you said we've we've all experienced it uh but looking at it from like Akane's perspective reading all of these comments and just seeing people put so much hate into something that I think they need to realize it's it's just television even though it's purportedly like a reality show because we know like reality shows are not like they're not real (laughs) well hopefully like a a well-rounded individual understands that but some people who just take it so seriously it's like i know that this is an anime character but as i was watching this i was just thinking like this is a human being like why would you invest so much of your energy in in telling someone to to go kill themselves even though like that has like no real impact on your life i mean it it gets an emotional response out of you for whatever they do in the show and obviously it's akane attacking um was it yuki but I, I don't think people's reactions shouldn't go that far
0: a hundred percent i i think i, I we, we could talk about this all day long um and it's like it's certainly a topic for another day because this is like a whole other thing that could really be delved into but i guess my my two cents is like you can enjoy a tv show or a movie or whatever that whatever piece of entertainment it is but if you're at a point where like you're telling somebody all these awful things because of the way something pan or the way something played out in a show you need to reevaluate your life and your priorities mm-hmm. we've seen this many times in the anime industry where creators or voice actors or whatever an anime get attacked by all the fans because they didn't like the way the story turned out or they didn't like the way a performance turned out or whatever and i'm like it's just anime this is coming (laughs) from two people who have a podcast about anime we're Mm -hmm. passionate about it but at the end of the day it's just anime and these are human beings like don't don't do this nonsense um but yeah it's the show again like it doesn't hold back it's attacking everybody and I think that's only fair that it would also attack fans, like it's attacking producers and um, creators and actors and idols and and whatever. But they're also like fans. You're equally bad in all of this.
1: And I think what almost hurts the most is that Akane was doing this because she wanted to really stick out on the show because she was feeling immense pressure from her management company uh, for not doing enough to generate buzz around her and so she does this but then it's like the wrong kind of buzz so it's it wasn't like her intention but again the expectations were just so brutally placed on her and that coupled with the vitriol that she's reading like all of these relentless messages online like i i can't imagine having to deal with like two things weighing you down so much
0: i think the fatal mistake was that she made an apology video as we all know (laughs) (laughs) apology videos don't go down well
1: yeah because then you'll just get more comments saying you weren't being authentic in this apology in episode 7, Buzz, the MTV reality show deals with the aftershock of Akane's attempt to end it all, which makes way for Doc Aqua to put together a lesson in PR cleanup. The viral marketing video it produces in rehabilitating Akane's public image is a success, and our faith in humanity is restored. Akane returns the favor to Doc Aqua by role playing as his idol mother on the next episode of the MTV reality show. And, of course, it's got him saying, ay, ay, ay.
0: There were some really interesting lines, some interesting commentary throughout this episode. Like, I think, I want to say it was Arima, but I could be wrong. Um, Someone said something like, the the garbage that people say online without thought could kill people. I mean, that's literally what we just talked about with the last episode. Um, Or... I think, like, two characters, one of them being Arima and then one of them being the girl with the long hair, maybe? Is um, it, uh... Yuki?
1: Oh, okay.
0: Where they said, like, it's harder these days to phrase things correctly, and if I said that on Twitter, I'd be canceled. Mm. I'm like, yeah, basically. Like, this show is, again, just being so real about all this stuff. Like, if I, if I had said that on Twitter or on social media, I would have been flamed, like, by everybody. It's like, yeah, you, you can't make even one tiny mistake without... Fans or public opinion attacking you like crazy. They love to like you know. Uh, I was the say victimize. They love to villainize um, and demonize people who are in the entertainment industry. And Aqua even says in this episode that he hates that online fans pushed Akane this far. But interestingly, that it was the production team who caused all this in the first place by airing the footage just for the ratings. And it kind of makes you think like they, they made a, a teenager um, a villain for the sake of entertainment. At what level does, do the creators of entertainment have the responsibility to protect the people that are working for them? And it just seems like the entertainment industry most of the time would rather steamroll right over those people in order to get the views, to get the ratings, to get the, the, the revenue versus protect those people.
1: Although it was nice that, you know, Aqua pr- phrased the question to that director who kind of caved in to give him the positive footage of Akane saying what kind of adult chooses not to protect a kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then that, that kind of led into this really interesting discussion on like swaying public opinion and the best ways to do it. And then um, I think mem what's her name mem memcho memcho i almost said memchi memcho was saying things like here are the best times to post on social media to get the most traction like they are just it's so expansive what oshinoko will include in the show um but all of it is related to the entertainment industry i just love how far reaching in a good way um the story is
1: yeah i I think (laughs) this is like the complete opposite of episode six and that it's like you have the dark side and now you have the actual positive side of entertainment and, and of social media in, like I said, restoring our humanity. What did you think about, I guess, I, I think it's obvious like why Akane wanted to emulate I so much, um, mostly to get on, or not get on Aqua's good side, but to curry some sort of favor with him uh but i don't know did you get pull anything else out of that her investing so much time in researching i and, and getting that role right
0: yeah honestly i didn't know where they were going with it i first I they were, i thought they were trying to show us that she's like a freak <laughs> like she's like <laughs> obsessive and like almost a stalker but i think at, once i watched a few more episodes in where they I think it may have been the last episode where they show like more about Akane being like this genius actress. Um, I think that the whole point of them showing us her becoming I was to show how incredibly talented she is. I mean, to be that invested in your role and then to emulate that character that well where even Aqua was absolutely shocked. Like, he was shook (laughs) when she walked into that room. I think that was the point, was to show us, like, Akane truly is a genius at what she does.
1: Okay, that makes sense because then it kind of sets up what happens in the final episode with that um, stage play or stage production of that anime. In episode 8, First Time, Doc Aqua is unsure of if his boner is meant for Aikaramba or Akane, but after Kanabun talks him down, he realizes that his Oedipus Complex wins out. Nonetheless, he starts a highly publicized relationship with Akane as a means to his end, and recruits fellow cast member Memcho to Strawberry Blueberry Productions' idol project, showing no mean on this end.
0: So we've got this, like, love triangle forming um, with Aqua, Akane, and Arima. Uh, But this is that, I think I briefly mentioned earlier, this is the point where the show basically goes meta and explains how Aqua can be attracted to girls his current age, despite being mentally older. Saying that, like, well, when I was a baby, I suffered from infantile amnesia. So I I forgot a lot of, like, what had happened when I lived with I. And as I'm growing in this body, I find myself, basically, he's like becoming a teenager, even though he's mentally older than that, because that's just really what the the life he lives. So it's only natural that he would be attracted to girls his age because he is that age, even if mentally he's older. I'm doing a really bad job of explaining this. <laughs> okay. They kind of explained it better in the show. But it's mm. just so, to me, it's so meta because I'm like, how many other fucking, like, reincarnation or isekai anime out there? Have there been, like, some sus things going on where, like, the character's body is younger, but their mental age is older, but they're attracted to, like, younger characters who are that same physical age (laughs) so it's just funny how this show was like let me just they 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 saw that coming i'm sure and they were like let's just put that to rest really quick this is how this love triangle is going to happen it's because blah 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 blah," and however they explained it
1: so they were trying to justify his his feelings i think
0: so i think for any fans who are like oh this is gross like he can't he shouldn't be like engaging in any sort of romance with these girls because they're high schoolers and this guy's probably in his 40s by now mentally i don't remember how old the doctor was when he died but like you know mm-hmm. add 10 years to that um so i think this is this is maybe the creators trying to explain like how a romance could happen in this show with aqua despite how old the doctor was or
1: is okay
0: Again, I did a terrible job of like trying to re-explain it. They explain it much better in the anime, but I just found that interesting that they tackled that.
1: I thought it was that just Aqua didn't have like a, a, an actual romantic interest in Akane though. That too. Because it, it, he's more so just infatuated with the fact that she, she was able to emulate I. Yes, so much. that was also part of it. Yeah. Okay. But so then, basically, yeah.
0: writing her off as a love interest for him, even mm-hmm. though she may have feelings okay.
1: for him. Okay, now now all that is starting to to make sense. Uh, it's all it's just weird though that Akane. I mean, maybe it's not weird because she she did so much research. She was able to theorize that I had a child in secret, and that's how she had certain like was able to evoke certain emotions and thought patterns.
0: That's a stretch for me. I mean, that's like. Is that method acting?
1: <laughs> Basically, yeah.
0: Like, that's, that's, uh, that one's a little bit harder for me to, like, get behind, but for the purposes of the show and the purposes of progressing the story, like, I can certainly accept it. Um, but it's going to mean that Akane is going to be a, a very interesting player in all of this.
1: And I think that's why Aqua decides to get in a, a quote unquote relationship with her, uh, just to, Kind of start putting the pieces together in his his great plan, his great vendetta to find his biological father.
0: Because you think about it, at some point, I'm sure in this story, um, somebody is going to realize that Ruby and Aqua are eyes children. But mm-hmm. who is it going to be? Is it going to right. be the producer? Is it going to be? Um, is it going to be Akane? Is it going to be like maybe Ruby slipping up and accidentally telling somebody? um or is the dad going to get discovered and then like, you know, spill the beans? Like I'm interested to see what happens then.
1: Yeah, and that also reminds me that Aqua and Ruby they don't even realize that they're the reincarnated versions of their past selves. What? Yeah, they do. I thought they didn't. Like Ruby doesn't know that Aqua is the doctor.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. You mean about each other. I thought you meant like themselves. Like they're aware of who they are themselves. But yeah, yeah. they've never talked to each other about who they really are. And that's also something I'm super excited for. Like, At what point will the two of them realize that they are the doctor and patient from Mm -hmm. their previous lives?
1: Yeah. Although I'm surprised they wouldn't just outright say that. From the first episode, where they realize they can talk to each other. Yeah,
0: I would have been like, "Here's my name from one right. from my past life. Here's where I lived. Here's what I did." Like, I would have told him everything because that's crazy that your sibling is also a reincarnated human being.
1: Mm-hmm. But going back to Aqua and his relationship with Akane, uh, I think this is where the show brings in like dating in the industry as as a topic, which reminds me of Filipino showbiz showbiz in the philippines because i think it's so susceptible to that where they'll like the, the the industry will pair certain actors and actresses together as as a as a couple but it's only like as as a public image or for them to promote like movies with them like featuring them and there's just something so like obviously so fake about it that it it gets under my skin. But here again, it's interesting that Aqua's using this method that is almost like exploitative in the industry, but using it to his own advantage um, and and using his own talents again, being a, a child of an idol prodigy to work towards his advantage or towards his own advantage. In episode 9, Bikomachi, we learn that Memcho has lied about her ripe old age of 24 going on 25, but because she wants to be where the idols are and she wants to see wants to see them dancing, Ruby and Kanabun formally accept her to complete their Idola Trio, who decide that the best way to increase their popularity is to continue plagiarizing their group's namesake. Meanwhile, Doc Aqua's scheming begins to pay off when Kaburagi spills the tea about Aikaramba's lover possibly being in the renowned La La Lai theater group, whilst also using his connections to secure a spot for Bikomachi at an upcoming idol festival. Remember, it's not about what you know, but who you know. And as for the idol trio's center, absolutely no one knows.
0: Not gonna lie, this episode was just okay. It didn't leave an impression on me. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but...
1: You couldn't connect with Memcho being a YouTube influencer? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Although her lying about her age, uh, I don't know if that was really a a shocker because I feel like that happens a lot in in entertainment too. It
0: probably does, yeah.
1: But 24 going on 25, making that sound like she's ancient like, without well, that's that's
0: typical boy. in anime like once <laughs> yeah. you hit 20 you're like an old
1: fart yeah that's uh I, I, that's just a blow to me personally uh being in my 30s now <laughs> to be considered ancient at least by entertainment standards or by anime standards um uh, interesting that they called it la la lie the, the theater company to continue with this theme of lying and acting and in being idols but yeah not not much to this episode besides learning more about mem and just piecing together more of the idol aspect of the show which i think yeah these last 3 episodes go back to focusing on the idol industry but this one's more of like a i'll borrow this from strictly jojo this is kind of like a setup episode In episode 10, Pressure, Kanabun stresses herself to no avail in the days leading up to the Idol Festival, so much so that it gives her war flashbacks about the high expectations she puts on herself. Doc Aqua somewhat convinces her in Buff Birdman disguise to keep going beyond Plus Ultra, but it is not until Ruby teaches her about the meaning of the word YOLO that Kanabun feels ready to be the Idolatrio's center of attention.
0: I feel like Arima is growing on me. I think, um, kind of like you this said in the beginning, tsunami. yeah, <laughs> like you said in the beginning, like her being reintroduced was kind of like meh. But as she's gone through a lot of like trials and tribulations in this show, I I feel like she's more interesting than this like one note character I expected her to be. Like here, she's nervous because she's failed so many times, but now it's worse because she's she's at the center of a group meaning that she has other two other people to support so if she fails they all fail um and just kind of seeing like her brattiness and acting like she's this hotshot or whatever but in reality she's a washed up actor i guess you could say um that that just i don't know it's it's interesting to me like she, she her character is getting more and more interesting and she's great because She's got some intimate understanding of the industry that Ruby and Memto just don't have. So she's able to provide insight left and right.
1: Yeah, I feel like Arima is like the authentic, I guess, entertainer of all the characters on the show. Because with Aqua, again, he doesn't want to be part of the industry, but is kind of just using the industry to his own advantage. And then Ruby, of course, like she has her rise to fame, but with her being, at least she's this is unknown to the characters, but her being uh, I's child, she kind of has a one-way ticket to fame. But Arima has had to work towards this goal. Um, and like you said, like she knows how the industry works um, and has done her best to put her foot in the door uh, so it almost feels like the show is somewhat revolving around her too and seeing how she navigates through this industry. I guess and almost in a way that won't cause her to abandon her ideals. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. And the show time and time again for many characters shows us backstory and flashbacks about how hard they work, um, Arima included, but at the end of the day, that's not what's propelling their their careers forward. It's like again the lies and mm-hmm. the favors and things like that. So it's just so interesting to see the the hard work that the actual entertainers put into their careers juxtaposed with the people of the industry um, and like how they operate. And then at the end of the at the end of this episode, middle of the episode, I can't remember. Um, Ruby talks about her past life to Adima. And says that her first love was the doctor and wonders how he is. And this is the point where I'm like, what if she tries to contact him someday but then learns that he's dead? Or in some way, shape, or form finds out that he's dead. Like, Will that be the catalyst for them to like discover that each other is the doctor and the patient?
1: Yeah. Although I would think in the, the 10 years that have transpired, they would have at least read up on the events surrounding her. No, actually, no, I take that back because no one would have known that I was pregnant. And I don't know. Cause I feel like a, a doctor being stabbed at a hospital would, would he, was, be he a, wasn't
0: stabbed. He was pushed off a cliff or,
1: or even that, like that would be such a significant news story that he would. It was a really
0: it. small town. Uh, I think that's yeah. the, that's the key there. It's like it was a super tiny town. so yeah, maybe like it made a splash in that area, but would it have made like national news maybe not?
1: Well, we always say that like Japan has a very low crime rate, so a, an event like that would be significant enough. but I I'm just making a generalization. I don't know if that's really the case uh, but okay, yeah, I guess it might not make sense if Ruby happened to read an article about it but i thought it was interesting that the way she was talking about her past life was still in a way where uh who, who's she talking to arima uh still in a way where arima can still think that it's about her time as an actual child rather than as ruby being the terminally ill patient from her past life um i guess it's just interesting double phrasing there where she doesn't reveal her true self, or Ruby doesn't reveal her true self. And in episode 11, Idol, B. Komachi takes the stage at the Idol Festival and captures the audience's hearts and glow sticks, though Kanabun once again huffs copium until Doc Aqua goes mob psycho in his support for all three girls out in the crowd. Memcho smells a harem forming with Doc Aqua, Kanabun, and Akane which of course comes to a head when all three are selected to be featured in La La Lies' production of Generic Battle Shonen, the manga, the play. And of course we learn that Kanabun and Akane are best of frenemies. But amidst all the glitz and glamour, Dakakwa stays resolute in finding his and Ruby's biological father in the role of a lifetime. Call it Oshinokyo Revengers.
0: Oh my god, Aqua dancing with the glow sticks is so funny, <laughs> especially because he was straight faced the whole time.
1: Oh, Yeah, what the uh, game is like? It's called like the idol fan dancing, but yeah, it's it. I, it's funny that that's what caused Ariana to get her confidence back because she's like having this es- existential crisis on stage, but then it's just watching Aqua. I guess it's because like she was, saw that someone out there was giving her support, like the support that she rarely ever got as a child actress or even in her 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 current attempt to go back into the acting world.
0: Yeah, and it was Aqua, too, and she's got the hot right story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, the harem that's building.
0: I wonder if at some point the members of B. Komachi, the new B. Komachi, will butt heads because it's clear that each of them has their own appeal um mm-hmm. and is kind of saying in throughout the sequence that you know i'm not good enough but then she kind of changes her tune and says i'm gonna make you all love me i'm gonna make you all hold up she had white glow sticks i think i'm gonna make yeah. you all choose to hold up your white glow sticks you know in in the near future so it's almost like friendly competition at this point but at some point I imagine it might get to the girls, and there may be some animosity there, so I'm, I'm wondering if like that'll happen at any point in the show.
1: Yeah, I guess like the okay. sort of drama and infighting that we've heard about with certain groups. interesting that they had the that that trio of fans at the festival, one of them being the the Senpai who talked about Ai Hoshino. Um, as being part of the old Bikomachi and thinking that no one could ever l- live up to her image until he sees Ruby, who is, of course, Ai's child, basically evoking all of her same, like evoking her same energy. And that's sort of reinvigorates him. Uh, so I think that's, that's sort of representing of representative of how, like even though... It was, like, I believed herself to have lied so much in her career as an idol. Uh, There was something authentic about her that really drew people in to maybe connect with her beyond her just being an idol.
0: I think it also shows that, Fans see the potential in Ruby versus just like mm-hmm. everyone in the industry saying like, oh, she's got what it takes. She's got the look. She's got the talent. Like even the fans, the hardcore, dedicated fans, the old school fans, see the potential that she has. Like she's she's got what it takes to be the next I.
1: Yeah. Then you have Kaburagi back in the fray. I, I'm really curious about like how much if like his role is going to expand because uh, I know it framed him as sort of this villain in the first couple episodes, um, but now it's kind of like he's just here in in the shadows being part of like the big machine of the entertainment industry. But with him pulling all the strings f- together to get Aqua to be in this play alongside Akane and um, Arima, right? Yeah, all three of them are in the play. Uh, it just makes me like what his motives are like if there's something ulterior to all of them that's maybe connected to finding out who Ai's lover was.
0: Yeah, major player. They're setting up a lot of key players in this whole mystery puzzle.
1: Last thing I'll say with this episode, and I don't know if this was something that was in previous renditions of the ED, but here we see a rabbit puppet opening up the ED being held together by strings that then strangle the puppet and make it gush out blood. Just what a great metaphorical example of everything this show is trying to tell us about the idol industry and the entertainment industry. Uh, Of course, it goes into the regular ED, but just powerful imagery there.
0: I was kind of hoping this last episode would end with more of like a splash or more of a cliffhanger, and it does leave a lot of excitement, knowing that Aqua's one step closer to finding out who their biological father is, you know, and is going to be part of this play. But it was just kind of like that, like oh, he's going to be part of a play, and Ruby's doing her idol stuff. So like, I kind of hoped there was more to draw you into season two, uh, but it certainly wasn't a bad end to the season.
1: And that brings us to our final thoughts for Oshinoko. So how many la la light sticks out of ten would you give this first season, I guess, since they announced the second season in production?
0: So I think the first episode is a ten out of ten. However, I'm giving the entire season as a whole an eight point five out of ten. I think this is a very strong start to a really good show, but at the same time, I can't ignore that it's still early days. Um, a lot of the season after episode one was kind of like set up for what's to come. you got Aqua tracking down their father, Ruby becoming an idol, the idol group officially forming. Um, this whole play is going to happen, you know, in, in the next season. So each episode was thoroughly entertaining, but didn't pack like the punch that the first episode did. And I don't think a season can ride on the success of its first episode alone, um, so yeah, I think that's just honestly like where, where it's at. It's not a bad beginning to the show. It's just early days. However, I love where the show is going and how raw and unfiltered they are about every aspect of the entertainment industry. Like they don't hold back about the truth um, and the fact that everything is fueled by lies and no one is safe when this, you know, this creator is highlighting Anything and everything from idol culture to reality shows to YouTubers to pinup models to blah, 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 blah. So I think that there's so much to look forward to and so many different areas that can still be tapped into. Um, so yeah, the show basically shows a lot of promise and I can't wait to watch more. And I'm really glad that we got a- an announcement for season two. What about you?
1: I would give this season an eight out of 10. There isn't anything that I found surprising about the exploitative nature of the idol and entertainment industry in Oshinoko that we haven't already seen or heard about in real life, but I think the series does a fine job in contextualizing these issues across its cast of characters, and it most especially excels in framing the folly of the glitz and glamour through the idea of one's lies becoming someone else's light which is a twisted perspective on what it means to be an idol which is explored by the the reincarnated offspring of the industry's shining example whose presence is still strongly felt despite her jarringly unexpected absence but while it serves as this sort of scathing critique of the darkness behind the limelight Oshinoko also attempts to weave a tangled web of conspiracy in its overarching plot, which I believe starts off very strongly in the first episode and the subsequent episodes, but then it starts to wane, like you said, in its importance in its middle act to focus on this or that subset of the industry. And it's not until the last episode where the series goes back on track with uncovering the identity of Ai Hoshino's true killer. I'm okay with this though because as was the case with Chainsaw Man, One Core is just an indication of early days for this anime until it inevitably opens the can of worms or can of baking soda on Ruby's rise to stardom in her mother's stead and Aqua's vendetta against the entertainment powers that be. So I think Oshinoko is a series that with its subsequent seasons, is a definite wait and see, or wotage and see. I I just love saying that word, wotage. (laughs) I, I need to learn those cheering moves now.
0: And speaking of season two, since it was confirmed, I think it's, I don't know if it's slated for any specific time frame, as of yet i'm not seeing anything here on mal so i guess we'll find out soon although i imagine with the success of the first season they're gonna probably try to put out the second season as quickly as possible but you know as always i hope that they take the time that they need at doga to give us a, a just as amazing season two as we got with season one
1: well it's interesting because the manga began its run in april of 2020 oh and it's still ongoing so i don't know how much the anime has already caught up to the manga so we, who knows we might have to wait a couple years maybe not like years and years but i would i would estimate a year at, at the very least until we get another season
0: well it'll be interesting to find out when they do actually plan to release season two Um because the, the announcement for season two came out very quickly I think after the end of season one, which usually means it's going to happen relatively soon. Like the second season will drop relatively soon, but I could be totally wrong there. We'll just wait and see, Um, but we'll certainly be back with a review of season two when it does air.
1: We'll water gay and see.
0: (laughs) And with that, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We love you and we appreciate your support so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on our favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series And to into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.